Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is a streaming freedom audio bulletin. It cannot be traced, it cannot be stopped, and it is the only free voice left in the geek revolution. Welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. I almost said issue, which is my other show or one of my other shows. <laughs> which one? <laughs> um, it is Derek, Brett, and myself, Mike, and we are joined um, this week by Fabio Del Rio. For some reason, I want to go. I want to try and pull the the WWE announcer voice for Alberto Del Rio, but I <laughs> I can't pull it off. I, I'm glad you emphasized the Del Rio and not the Fabio because that takes us in a whole other direction. <laughs> right. <laughs> when Mike told us that you were going to be coming on, all I had was thoughts of the uh, model getting smacked in the face on a roller coaster with the goose. <laughs> and there it is. There it is. <laughs> I well, can't you know, it's not butter. Yeah, right. When's, yeah. when's the last time you really saw him do that much? He's, he could be doing some games and stuff. You never yeah. know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> so, so well, as, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. No problem. As we're going to compare our all of us compare our long flowing locks that we don't have. Um, mm-hmm. Fabio works. <laughs> never wanted so i always kept my hair short and it keeps getting shorter and shorter as i get older and older by choice well, not was, by not by i was a i was a headbanger back in my teenage years so i grew up my hair to the uh, chagrin of my father <laughs> <laughs> um well i had about two or three years of hockey hair in the early 80s so oh. out of the mullet <laughs> yeah being, being canadian it was kind of a, a prerequisite <laughs> did you did you ever did you ever make the barry melrose hair club oh god I don't know what he has going on. And he still has it, which is the amazing part. Yeah. He should know better by now. You know, in the early 90s when he was coaching the Kings, okay, that's fine. He's in hockey. Right. <laughs> but now I think he, he styles in the silver on the sides just, yeah. to, just to keep it. <laughs> um I guess Minnesota. The, the someone does something during their their state tournaments, the the Flow Club or something like that. And it's highlighting the the best hockey flow f- for that tournament awesome. season. I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're with a company called CSE Games, which I got it right this time, as opposed to pre-show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tell us a little bit about uh, about C- CSE Games, as I stopped to think before I blurted it out the way I was going to say it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, CSE Games, we started back in 2004. Um, we started as a, a company focusing on sports-related games, and we built a, a couple of games that used uh, uh, classic playing card mechanics to... Uh, simulate. We had a, a hockey game and a football game, and incorporated. Uh, it was a hand management style of game where you again use some of those classic rules to you know gain possession of the puck, advance it up the ice in a hockey game, uh, and in football the idea was you had a hand of cards, almost like you're in a huddle and you're 
battling down for down uh, with your opponent. And those two games are called NHL Icebreaker, and the football version is called Handoff. And we did a couple of licensed college versions of the game as well and won a few awards from, uh, got on some top 10 lists from the board game geek community. Uh, and yeah, NHL Icebreaker is a game that we do really well, especially in, in Canada, just a steady seller. And uh, but that, those are kind of the beginnings that was, you know, our path to get into the gaming business. Um, and since, I guess, t- uh, 2012, so I guess we were strictly sports for about eight years. And in 2012, we started to branch out into non-sports related games, uh, family games, casual games, card games, abstract strategy type games. And it's become a much bigger part of our business now uh, because it kind of allows for a a broader audience, uh, more opportunities. You know, there's great power to the sports licenses, but there's also a very limited market. Um, It's a large market, but it it, it really you're cutting you're cutting your market into into slices. Um, So, uh, yeah, so we, we, we expanded from there and got to meet a lot of really great designers and uh, us being in the Toronto area, we're close to a group called the Game Artisans of Canada. And these uh, men and women are amazing designers with great concepts. And we've become friends with lots of them and have uh, introduced uh, several several games designed by them. Um, uh, one of them called Cortex, which is a, a tile tile matching type of game designed by a gentleman named Tim Brown. Um, another game that uh, that we're about to release has a, a funky name called Junk in My Trunk, <laughs> but it's a game about elephants cleaning up the circus with their trunks. So, <laughs> yeah, and uh, the the artist that we used uh, for the art, which is really great, a gentleman named Josh Capel, who is uh, known for being the artist for the first versions of Pandemic. Um, wow. So just a small little little taste of, uh, you know, the, the talent that's in this area. And uh, yeah, it's allowed us to kind of expand our line. And um, and with our, our next game coming up, uh, a game called Gridstone's Night Sky, uh, also designed by Tim Brown. And that's a game we're just about to launch tomorrow uh, on Kickstarter. And uh, yeah, people can check that out at gridstones.com. And we're looking forward to it. It's uh, it's a 10th anniversary reprint of Tim's original game, and uh, we've kind of added a fun new theme to it with uh, constellations and the night sky, and uh, you know, have some really nice artwork and design. And uh, I think it'll be—it's been quite well received so far. We're really happy with the response. We've been to several of the big gaming conventions in the last couple months. We were at Origins in uh, Columbus. And just a couple of weeks ago, we were at a show called Gen Con in Indianapolis, which was <laughs> massive. <laughs> and then we've got, uh, yeah, yeah, you got to do it, but you got to get your tickets early because the entire event sold out. And I'm talking about like attendees. Like if you live in Indianapolis and you just wanted to go, there were no tickets left, no wow. passes at all. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. 
so yeah, those are two great events. And then this weekend, uh, tomorrow actually, we have an event here in Canada called Fan Expo, which is basically kind of a combination of everything fan yep. uh, comics anime uh horror gaming all in one and it takes up uh, the north and south ends of the convention center in downtown toronto it's it's really massive and yeah they own look, looking forward to it they own the show here in uh in the orlando area called megacon oh really so the fan yeah. expo people own it oh yep. interesting okay yeah they bought so it you, you know a couple the, years ago yeah interesting because that yeah that that event was sold a couple years ago uh <laughs> Here, so I get that they must be expanding their reach into the into the the, the Comic Cons of the world, and, and yeah. I, I'm not sure I'm not sure if it's one word or two or with a hyphen, <laughs> but I know one means something. One property belongs to another. I'm not really sure, but yeah, yeah, oh. yeah I, I'm, they're not sure either. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, San Diego Comic Con. They're not sure if they're truly a Comic Con or a Media Con. So, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think they're a Comic Con anymore. So, with with Gridstones, uh, tell us more about the the Kickstarter uh, since it will have launched by the time this airs. Yeah, so uh, we yeah, so we're offering it the game at a at a very good price. It'll be roughly fifteen dollars US. Um, I say roughly because it'll be listed in Canadian funds. Uh, as of as of now, we may change it last minute, but as of now, it'll be in Canadian funds and works out uh, quite favorably for our American friends. Uh, <laughs> basically, it'll be uh, fifteen dollars for what will be a uh, twenty five dollar US game when it hits stores. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a nice abstract strategy game. So think of like um, a simplified version of the classic game Go with the black and white stones. And the idea is each player is dealt a um, collection of cards with with a pattern on them. Each card has a pattern of stones on a on a three by three grid on the card. And your objective is to to match patterns on the board that match your cards by placing or removing a stone from the board. And so basically, it's about you know being able to visualize and uh, pl- uh, strategize your play with with common uh, patterns that you that you have in your hand. So basically, if you're able to kind of visualize, okay, if I do this here, it gives me a chance to, to finish this card, but then it sets me up well for this next card here. So there's a lot of uh, kind of tactical planning. But of course, you know, you've got opponents at the table as well that can totally pick up on uh, some of the things you're trying to do and can, can spoil your plans. Um, but with that... Uh, uh, the game also includes special one-use cards, which allow you to, um, say, take an extra move or uh, rotate a two-by-two two area on the board or well, different things like that. So you can have a little bit more kind of control in your in your planning um, and being able to strategize your move ahead. But uh, the game itself is really nice in that it allows it adjusts to the players. So if you have, you know, two very casual uh, game players that are, you know, sip, having a cup of coffee, playing a game, it's, it's very suitable for casual players. But if it's for two gamers that are more serious, that like kind of a, a strategic challenge, uh, it also lends itself well to those players because you'll be playing the game kind of at a, at a 
deeper level, really, you know, examining the moves of their of your opponents and, you know, just a different level of thinking. Um, another very unique aspect of it is it's a two to six player game. So wow. it, the board, the board itself expands. Mm. It, you use different sections of the board depending on the number of players. So a six player abstract strategy game is uh, is pretty unique. And uh, but it's a lot of fun. It can be it can be, uh, you know, good for the whole family, really, you know, and doesn't take up a lot of space on the table and only only takes about 20 or 30 minutes for a full game. Wow. And one of the yeah. And one of the really nice touches of the game that uh, we kind of discovered as we were showing and demonstrating the game was the stones themselves are uh, what we call synthetic star sapphires. So uh, I, I actually can't remember if it's star sapphire or sapphire star, but <laughs> th- those stones grow in nature and are very, very valuable stones. And um, so we were playing with, uh, with with a couple of people and you know showing them the game for the first time. And they said, you know, I think it would be really cool if you guys incorporate incorporated uh, these star sapphire stones because the board itself represents the sky and these sapphire stones have a starburst naturally built into them. That's why they're called star sapphires. And so we were, that'll be kind of the, the really nice component to the game that we, we think uh, kind of fits the, the elegance. Oh, there's our junk in my trunk elephant there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, these stones are a really nice compliment to, uh, you know, the nice little touch to, to really give people that feeling of, you know, you're almost a god in the way moving, moving stars around the board to, to have the stars align for you, as we like to say. Cool. Now, it's, what age group is this for? I mean, is it an adult game? Is it an all ages game, so to speak? Yeah, we have it as uh, ages seven and up, um, but uh, we've had plenty of five and six year olds um, have no problem with it. Uh, but it, 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 like I said, it adapts really well to who's playing. If it's you know two casual players, two young players, they can still have lots of fun. It'll be more of a challenge to pick up patterns. Uh, that's why we have it at seven and up. It's um, you know, basically, it's just the, the, the processing and, and um, kind of visualization, we find that that is, becomes the most comfortable at seven plus. But it's very much a nice, nice adult game, um, you know, good for good for couples, a great two player game. Um, I think the, the original version of the game, uh, the ages were seven to 77, just <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but basically it's uh, ideal for anyone who's looking for kind of a fun challenge um, that doesn't take uh, very long to play. Did you guys uh, demo it down at uh, Gen Con? We sure did. Yeah, that was a, a big part of what we did. We uh, held, uh, gosh, we held events virtually every day of the show, and we we were demoing it with different people. Uh, some were retailers, some general public, just people looking to try out the game. Um, other game designers. It was really good, and uh, we, I, yeah, I think we ended up having at least one event per day. And but we also had some. Uh, we brought it out at other events. Uh, just because, and mm-hmm. um, and so we got some really good ideas that came out of it as well. Especially a couple of times we were at the table with other designers, and they had some great suggestions for some of the other special cards, the special ability cards. 
Um, Yeah. And then, you know, uh, we also played with uh, artists as well, game artists, game uh, graphic designers and to get an idea of, you know, uh, how the components and the art kind of work together. And so, yeah, we're really happy with uh, with the feedback we got. Um, Yeah. And it's one of those games that it's easy to show because you can literally literally teach it in 30 seconds. They teach the entire game in 30 seconds and then play in 20 minutes. It's it's not a tough sell for people. So uh, we get a lot of a lot of comers. That's always the first question, right? Well, is it easy to learn? And okay, how long is it Mm -hmm. to play? So, you know, 30 seconds to learn and less than 20 minutes to play. That's pretty easy. Yeah, you can't beat that. Yeah. (laughs) So I had a cousin and a friend that uh, were down there. Were you guys in the Lucas Oil Stadium or were you actually in the (sighs) convention center? Yeah, both because, yeah, it was awesome. So we we had we had uh, booth space in in the main convention center, but the entire Lucas Oil Stadium, like the the, the field itself was covered with tables, except right in the middle, which was totally awesome. They had roughly a 40 by 40 foot space in the middle of the field where they had a museum to Dungeons and Dragons and to specifically uh, Gary Gygax, uh, who is a basically designer, creator of Dungeons and Dragons. But he was also the founder of Gen Con, one of the founders of Gen Con. And that 40 by 40 space represented the size of the original Gen Con literally 50 years ago. So you're talking about 40 by 40 in the basement of a ballroom 50 years ago. And it was such an image that you had that museum in the middle of a stadium that held, that holds 70,000 people. And to think that in the convention center across the way, there were 70,000 attendees that could have filled up the stadium. Wow. And it was just this awesome, awesome image. And um yeah, uh, in fact, the first night we we walked over to to Lucas Oil Stadium, we couldn't believe it. First of all, we just walked in, showed our badges. They just let us in. We walked down the stairs to the main concourse, right down to the field, grabbed the table and started playing games. It was really, really cool. It was a really nice experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a great time down there, so I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, it was a special one for sure. Uh, the show has really grown a lot over the years. Uh, it used to be that, uh, you know, 10 years ago, they would be calling on us for booth space when we wanted to book our space. And now if we don't book like at midnight, send in our application at midnight, when the deadline opens, we're not going to get booth space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing how the industry's grown. And a big part of it is because of, um, you know, projects that are able to be to be given a shot because of things like Kickstarter. You know, there are massive companies that are that have been built on Kickstarter. A lot of the a lot of the miniature games um, have, you know, you know, raised in the millions of dollars for a single campaign. And that, you know, has launched companies to to do really big things. Um, You know, then you have your exploding kittens of the world that raised eight point seven million for this this little card game. Uh, But, uh, you know, a nice definitely a nice game. And they did everything right marketing wise you know having um the uh the comic book artist from uh the name's not coming to me uh i want to say it's not the onion it's the oh boy Anywho, it was it was a great fit of the uh, this this web comic um, and the game designed by a uh, former, I believe, is Microsoft Xbox employee named uh, Ellen Lee, and uh, uh, 
I can't believe I forget the name of the the web comic. I think some, someone's looking it up for me. I think. Yeah, I am. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and th- I mean they raised you know eight point seven million dollars with this little card game. So it's just changed changed the business so much in uh, you know in in less than ten years. And I think that's the reason why it's so hard to get a booth at, uh, <laughs> yeah. at Gen Con. Plus, you know the whole industry growing in particular. It's, is it um, the oatmeal? Is that what you were talking about? There it is, the oatmeal, not the onion, yep. the oatmeal, other foods. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and they have a really fun style of art and really kind of cheeky, uh, great humor type of webcomic. Um, it's not just for breakfast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was a great event. It's, uh, if, if you can make the trip, it's, it's definitely worth it. It's a lot of fun, and it's literally 24 hours. They have gaming halls open all night. Like We were sitting there in Lucas Oil uh-huh. Stadium at, at midnight. We got in at midnight and were there for a couple of hours, and it was, <laughs> it was just surreal sitting there. <laughs> Is this your first one that you've been there? How many years have you been, been going no, the first the first year we went was 2006, and uh, it's funny because in 2006 there was a whole other football stadium there. It was the was it the RCA Dome, I believe, and I one so. of those kind of co- cookie cutter domes, probably built in the 70s. And uh, so yeah, 2006 was our first one, and we'd been going every couple of years in between as we had kind of uh, significant products to uh, to launch. Um, but we're there either every year, either if we have a booth or just as an att- attendee uh, with meetings and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's a great event, and you know the the gaming community is awesome. The people that you meet are great. It's it's really a rare community that people are very eager to help each other, whether it's to promote each other's games, uh, introduce contacts, uh, media contacts, you know, manufacturers. Um, it's really, really very interesting community and um, not not what you'd find in, in most industries. And people are genuinely happy for each other. Companies play other companies' games and really enjoy them. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting business, a hard business. It's, uh, you know, being in any anything print related is very tricky. Managing inventory, you know, if, you, if you're in the publishing world at all uh, with magazines, obviously, you know, print runs are everything. And that's that's the same with board games, even more so. Um, so that's that's still still a challenge. But, you know, having having Kickstarter as as uh, almost a, a new channel of distribution is uh, helps with that in terms of kind of getting. Uh, getting a gauge for the demand of a game or at least initial demand and um, you know helps lessen the risk but uh, as they say uh, a Kickstarter campaign is roughly it's 30 days of hell <laughs> you, you don't sleep a lot during that time uh, you usually get bombarded with a lot of questions and decisions and get some great feedback but uh, you got to be on top of things and uh, sitting there watching the numbers wondering if it's going to go up or <laughs> well yeah that, that's a whole other side of it exactly yeah. Yeah. every time you get that email notification your heart jumps a little bit and uh, mm-hmm. but but it's exciting and um you know uh, yeah we're eager to be jumping into our next one so is that how most of your games get started then on is uh through kickstarter no we we uh, are doing about one or two a year now uh, we'll typically launch anywhere from two to four products in a year um and two of those will be that go directly into distribution that we you know, print and go right into distribution um ones that we 
that we do through Kickstarter are typically ones that we feel fit more the Kickstarter community, number one. And second of all, uh, might be a project that we're looking to fast track. Um, that, you know, it's, it's maybe a game that we newly signed, uh, but we know that in our regular schedule of things, it's, it might be, you know, two years out instead of one year out. And, um, you know, it, it, that might be a reason to, to kickstart a project as well, just to kind of um, get it out a little a little sooner than, than we'd like. But, you know, we like to put a lot of time and, and care into each one of our releases. So, uh, we don't we don't want to take on too much. Uh, we get we get presented a lot of game concepts, and um, you know we choose ones that we spend a lot of time first before we decide we want to do them, and then during the whole development process, uh, we stay very involved uh, with with the designers, with the developers, and the artists. So we um, you know we want to make sure that we don't just let a game slide and not give it its its proper attention because uh, a lot of time and effort goes into getting the game where it is and you know if you don't give it the proper attention when it's, it hits the market it's, uh, it's a real shame and yeah. if you if you're on to your next project then that's how these things can happen you know, kind of human nature um, <laughs> so that we specifically don't take on so many projects uh, first of all so you know I don't lose my mind and <laughs> second of all that that, uh, you know, we want to put lots of time and care with the designers, developers, and the artists. Now, wh- what are some of the stretch goals or goals and stretch goals that you guys have uh, with the Kickstarter campaign? Yeah, we've got some good ones. Um, so some of the first stretch goals are have to do with the quality of the materials. So especially with uh, with card card based games, um, you know, one of the one of the early stretch goals is um, the the actual stock of the card being a linen finish that that nice kind of textured finish, uh, giving it kind of an extra uh, coating of protection. Also, uh, another one is uh, using cardstock uh, imported from Germany, uh, what they call German black core stock, uh, which is basically the quality they use in casinos. Um, it just it's, it's it, it, you know you're shuffling a good deck when it has that kind of soft flex to it, but uh, but no memory. Now, what they say about memory with cards is when you kind of bend it a little bit, it it kind of stays bent a little bit. Right. The, German German black core stock they bounce right back and they can oh, wow. take a beating lots of shuffling yeah they have they have a special feel to them uh, so those those are a couple of the early stretch goals uh, others are additional uh, additional uh, those um, power cards the special cards the, we call the shooting star cards uh, I think one of them is to add three extra cards and next level is another five extra cards so those are those are uh, cards we'll have to actually uh, work on <laughs> as we as we hit those stretch goals, we have a few uh, loose ideas, but uh, um, you know, as the, as the project does better, we're happy to you know pour in more time and testing to uh, to get to that to get to that next level and give a, a greater assortment of those cards. Um, the game itself also comes with a nice velvet bag for the stones. 
So another one of the stretch goals is um, to have it uh, printed, the, the, the Gridstones uh, logo printed on the bag. An even higher stretch goal is to have it embroidered on the bag. Um, and then we have a couple others that uh, we will divulge at a later time. But, uh, yeah, a lot of it comes down to, you know, adding more content to the game and then uh, improving the quality of the components in the game. So I guess you don't have to use the old Crown Royal bag like I used to use for my D&D dice. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, we'd love, we'd love to recreate that because it's perfect. The bag is purple because right. the whole theme of the game, we have a nice purple box. It will be a purple bag. Hey, maybe that can be another stretch goal. <laughs> we'll call it the, the, the Crown Royal bag, and we'll try to right. uh, we'll try to mimic it. <laughs> like that. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> keep an eye out for it. <laughs> so how long how long have you been working on this particular game? So this was a game that, uh, like I said, it, it came into the market in 2008. And uh, the designer, Tim Brown, had it published with a company from Montreal called Dana Wares. And um, they, it was basically a Canadian distributed game. It mainly, virtually the entire print run was sold within Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so after a few years, uh, Tim got the rights back to the game. And uh, in the meantime, we had produced his, uh, his, his Cortex game, which was that tile, tile matching uh, abstract strategy game. And um, so when that when that came up, uh, you know, we said to Tim, we would love to, you know, to to produce your next print run. And um, so basically we we, uh, decided it was only a few months ago that we decided, okay, let's move forward on a version of, of Gridstones. But. We knew we wanted to add a theme to it, but we weren't 100% sure which direction to go to. And um, so we got together with uh, another um, uh, game artisan of Canada named uh, Jamie Jones from Ottawa, Ontario. And he's one of the biggest fans of the game. He literally had worn through copies of the game of Gridstones, for real. And wow, nice. he, he, Yeah, it was great. He would play speed games with his son, basically huh. almost like playing speed chess. Um, and he really enjoyed the game. And, you know, as he was playing, um, you know, they're, they're a very prolific gaming family. And uh, they were coming up with these ideas of, you know, little things to add to Gridstones. And so I thought, well, why don't we put those two heads together and see what we come up with? And we tried out a few different themes that we thought could fit with the components, but Immediately when uh, when Jamie came up with the idea of a constellations theme where you're you know literally moving around stars and you know the way we saw it is that instead of you know looking down at the board we're now looking up at the sky and mm. it was just such a perfect fit and if you look at the cards uh, we have them up on the campaign page and on our website we tried to mimic the patterns of the stones on the card to the shape of the constellation. And some of them are just fit really, really nice. And, you know, that, that's kind of the, the fun abstraction of the game, right? That's what all games have is some, some portion of it where they kind of try to tie in the, some, the, the, the realism of something, meaning the, the multi-points of a constellation, and we, we matched it onto the, onto the face of the cards. And anyway, it, it immediately just came to the forefront. Yes, this this is the way we want to go. 
that nice kind of, you know, natural spacey theme. Um, you know, we have an image of Galileo kind of looking up at the stars on the box and everything just fit in really, really nicely. And um, so we've got a little bit of tinkering still to do, but we're really happy with the way the games come out and and you know so many people that we've shown the game to really thought it was a clever theme and a theme that's not used very often uh, especially in this way where you're matching you're you're literally almost like looking into the sky looking for patterns and we've kind of done that right you know we right. we all know what what the oh, yeah. big dip what big dipper looks like you know in a, in a big city you don't get to see the stars but when you're out you know out camping or out in the wilderness you can see the stars a lot better and it's amazing the the patterns that you can see and uh, that was that was kind of the idea um, one one game reviewer described the game as I believe called it like like looking at the stars in the sky. Gridstones is it? How did he put it? It is a relaxing but fun, and I mm. think that's that's a good way to put it. It's 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 one of those games. It's relaxing, a nice casual game, but fun. And because there's enough of a challenge, you can have your casual players enjoy it as much as your more sophisticated players. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, there's some games that they're amazing because they have all this stuff going on that fits together real nice. And we see this, we see the, the elegance and the simplicity of the game. You know, you're, you're not, you're moving a stone, moving, removing a stone from the board and matching it to your card. But, you know, only you experience all the things that are going on in your head inside in your decision making. And, uh, you know, we, again, we had other people say, I, I like the way it it scratched my brain. I like I liked the processing I was doing. You know, some games they are, are described as too thinky where you get lost in what you have to process. And mm-hmm. I think this is a nice balance where if you don't pay attention, you won't do well at this game. But as long as you kind of plan things out in, in, a, in a logical way, uh, you, you can do well with it. And the other great thing is you do get better at the game the more you play it. The first time you play it against an experienced player, unless you get real lucky and get a nice hand of cards that have very similar attributes to them, you probably won't win. It does take time to learn the game and you definitely get better the more you play. Nice. I know a lot of games come out with expansion packs and things like that. Are there any kind of plans for for that for grindstones? Gridstones, come on, we were Gridstones. Sorry, <laughs> I, I rubbed yeah. off. Jeez, gridstones. All good. It's all good. It's all good. Jeez. I rubbed off. Well, what we have to yes. do is, you know, put our nose to the grindstone and yes. then uh, there you go, yeah. and come up with these extra cards, right? Yes. No, we like we like to do, um, especially at conventions, have uh, little promo packs for people that you know buy specific games. We'll we'll design uh, a pack of cards that are specifically only available at conventions. Uh, but as you said, it lends itself well to to plenty of different versions. Now, the game itself, it has 49 Constellation cards. And it's only 49 because it uses every permutation of six and five stones pictured on a card. So, you know, there we can, but we can expand from there. We can possibly go to four stones on a card, which would be easier cards to finish. Or maybe even go even as high as seven cards on a stone, which would be definitely more challenging. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's one of those games that, uh, first of all, allows itself to other themes. Uh, there were a couple other themes that we were looking at doing. 
uh, again, using these kind of simple components, but maybe having uh, uh, changes in terms of that fit in with the theme. Um, but yeah, we're usually for, like I said, for trade shows, we like to include uh, promo packs or any kind of, um, you know, expansion cards to the game. Sounds like a lot of math for the designers. Uh, they're pretty sharp dudes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tim, Tim, the designer, he's, uh, he's got the math down and he processes it very well. Um, that, that is, uh, definitely not my strength. Um, <laughs> I, I, I retired as a game designer after our first two sports games, uh, realizing that you can't do both. You can't design games and spend all the time you need to, you know, get get all the you know clean it just get it to a point where it's clean and slick it just takes hours and hours and hours of testing um you know to to spend your time doing that as well as producing games and getting them into stores and uh, doing all the marketing things you need to do and doing trade shows and demonstrations and going on podcasts and <laughs> uh, you know it's it, it it does take a lot of time so we like to be in on the development side where you know we get presented something that's anywhere from 75 to 95 percent done and we're we help just polish it off and you know play test a more finished product instead of you know being so deeply involved in the early hours of development and that's what we discovered is there's so many great designers with so many great concepts that you know we're we're happy to you know get in on on their projects and and bring it to to something marketable to together um so but uh yeah that's a long way of saying yeah the designer he's a he's a smart dude yeah <laughs> it seems like the creation of uh games like gridstones and card games like that seems like a lot more communal than it does for like video games because you have the play testers and things like that and a lot of people different people's input on the games than it would be for like video games and things like that yeah, it's uh, it's funny because as I get to know more designers, and uh, you know, the, a, a hit game comes out on the market, a lot of these guys say, "Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that a couple of years ago," and they really polished it up. That's great. And yeah, it it, it completely different from video games. I'm sure. Um, I uh, I don't know that much about it to give you my video game history. <laughs> I had I was an NES guy. I was a Sega Genesis guy. And then a wee guy. And so, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a big, big holes there. <laughs> I love and, my Wii. And, and, yeah, I, I, had, I had injuries from my Wii, no doubt about it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, just, just the idea of, uh, you know, the beta testing and being part of uh, beta groups and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is, uh, yeah, definitely a lot more secretive. It's not, it's not a public thing. And I don't know what kind of paperwork you have to sign as a beta tester but i'm sure you can't divulge too much to uh to other people um mm-hmm. i'm sure however yeah. though but they're, they're they're sure not uh you know they're sure not cutting it short on on the the actual play testing because that you, you, no matter what you're producing you have to put in that work that play mm-hmm. testing work because that bug in the game that little conflicting oh, yeah. rule you want to catch that in testing 
and no. not 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 when someone reads the rule book for the first time after they right. after they purchased it. I guess that's like why they put out betas for people to to test. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've and, been involved in some playtesting for EA Games uh, since oh, we have wow. an EA Game Studio here in Orlando, and oh, cool. and it's intriguing to be a part of it. Ah, I can imagine. What uh, are you allowed to say? What games you tested? Uh, I helped test Madden Ten. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Are you in the credits? We're none of the playtesters are are listed as alpha testers. Oh, really? Yeah. Is, is there that? Is there that many of you? Possibly. 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 Yeah. yeah. My my claim to fame to video games is NHL. Oh, shoot, hold on. Uh, are you guys NHL players? Mm-hmm. Used to yeah. be when it was available on PC. <laughs> right. Which was the one with Le Cavalier on the cover? Vincent Le Cavalier. You guys, Florida uh, guys should know this. <laughs> right. Was it 09? Does that make sense? Maybe 07? Maybe it was 08. 08? Okay, let's say it's 08. So I have a good friend of mine who works at the uh, NHL Players Association. And uh, out of the blue, he sent me a note saying, hey, EA is looking for the names of free agents <coughs> to be a, to be available in the free agent wire do you want to do you want to be one of the free agents i'm like uh, yeah absolutely so if you check the free agent wire in NHL 2008, there is a Fabio Del Rio, who is a left-handed goalie. Uh, I, I believe I was 32 years old and rated like a 73 <laughs> with no picture, but still. And cool. I guess there were so many complaints about that, that they don't do that anymore with <laughs> the, oh, the really? un- unknown free agents. Yeah. Apparently the message was like, who are these people? This is meaningless to me. Why are they even doing this? So that was it. <laughs> One one and done. So That's do you have uh, issues with uh, getting licensing for the college football games? Because I know that uh, EA had to drop it because of the likenesses and things like that. Yeah, uh, it was very different for us. The two college games that uh, we licensed, we did team-specific versions. So we did a uh, Florida Gators version. So are you a Gator or a Seminole? Neither. Well, Orlando, that, okay. <laughs> LSU. You, you don't, really? Yeah. Okay, well, guess, guess what's coming in the mail? Because the other one we did was LSU, and in, so so what we did was because there are what 120 Division One football teams, and the 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 power rankings seem to change dramatically from year to year, except for the the top like 15 Alabama. or so, yeah, like yeah. Alabama and Ohio State yeah. and those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did to uh, try to avoid you know doing a licensing deal with every individual school, we did a, a kind of a, an eras type of game where you know LSU's greatest teams facing off against each other. So we mm-hmm. would uh, we would produce a card highlighting. Um, I don't I don't recall uh, the, the years exactly, but you you choose the team that you represent. And there are special cards in the deck that give you special abilities specifically for that team. And um, anyway, that, that kind of going back to your question about the licensing, uh, you know, it was a non, it, there were no players involved, no player okay. names or images. Uh, we could, I believe we could use their names in text only, but mm-hmm. no imagery. Um and um, anyway, it, w- it was challenging because uh, the college market, first of all, is extremely competitive with any products. 
Um, you know, they sell a lot of hats and T-shirts and a lot of trinkets. Um, but the the other challenge is the the regionality of it. That's I was gonna say. You yeah. Know, you, 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 I mean, what do you, you focus your sales efforts on Baton Rouge and Gainesville? It's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a tricky one, and you know, and we were lucky enough to get into the LSU shop at the bookstore and at the stadium, which was pretty cool. Um, and we were in the online store uh, uh, for the Gators as well. But you know, after a couple of years, they you know they refresh their product line and kind of go from there. So right. mm-hmm. it, was, it was it was really fun to you know to to go down and, and uh, get involved in in the college licensing uh, industry. Um, and I became a fan of both of those teams because of that. And of course, we got in on licensing a Florida Gators game after Tim Tebow. Oh, jeez! Exactly. And that was, what's, what's happened to the Gators since, right? Right. So the sales weren't exactly off the charts for uh, <laughs> for the Gators game. And that's the other crazy part about sports is sales are performance based, performance being on the field, you know. And that's something that you can't control at all. It's hard enough to produce a game that people enjoy and and can get into and think it's something, you know, worth playing. But man, if it's not going to sell just because the team's not performing on the field, that's rough. That's rough. I imagine that's pretty brutal. Yeah. That that has been an issue over on uh, (laughs) with LSU. Yeah. I mean, every year it seems like there's one big game that they lose and you know, they have great teams and they have great players, but it's just that, that, that one. And that's, that's the cruel part of college football too. Right. One loss and that, and you know, you can't win the championship. I mean, mm-hmm. I know it's not technically, but you have one loss and you basically got to run the table from there. Right. And it's, I mean, it's awesome to watch. It makes for amazing drama and tension, but Holy cow, it's brutal. <laughs> Yeah, especially, especially when you have a game uh, riding on their success or failure, oh. probably uh, elevates that. Yeah, it's uh, but it's awesome. I mean, I, I'd love to go down to to Baton Rouge and and watch a game. Um, what do they call the stadium again? Sorry, I'm a measly Canadian here. Death Valley, like, come on, the swamp in Death Valley, like, <laughs> yes, man. <laughs> they they do a lot of things right in college football, no doubt about it. And mm-hmm. it's actually cool because. Uh, here in Canada, we have the Canadian Football League, and oh, yeah. a, a lot of Americans that come to games here say it does have that college feel to it. But it's probably a mid-major because mm-hmm. you know we only hold you know thirty to thirty-five thousand in our stadiums. When well, I mean Michigan has one hundred five, and what is mm-hmm. what is what does Death Valley hold? Uh, I'm not sure. Find out. But it's probably pr- probably eighty or ninety without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, the CFL has been uh, has had a real nice resurgence uh, since the days of the U.S. expansion. I don't know if you guys were familiar with that. Oh, were, yeah. The good old Shreveport Pirates. Yes. Oh man, you're good. I, I, let, I set I, it up for you, and you knocked it down. Well done. Well done. I went to I went to a couple games. No I lived kidding. In, really? I lived in Shreveport at the time. I love it. That's and, great. And the owner. Uh, was it? I want to say Ed Bartolo, but it wasn't the owner. Niners. Uh, the owner of us. 
capacity for Death Valley is 102-321. Holy cow. And it, sell, and it sells out every game, right? Mm-hmm. Just about. Bananas. Um, yeah. The the owner of the team wasn't paying bills and went to move yep. the team to Hampton Roads. Oh. Uh, creditors came in and put a marshal's... Um, they did something where the marshals came and seized his 1948 Tucker Torpedo, which oh, was... Wow. Um, so it, it stayed at the car museum there in Shreveport that it was at. His attorney came and tried to grab it, and it only had like a quarter tank of gas. And didn't get far. It's like, what are you, one? What are you doing driving the car out? Yeah, don't throw it out or anything. <laughs> no, we're gonna get in the car, start it, and drive yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you can't really blame them. <laughs> Uh, that's a that's a dedicated attorney right there. Yeah, ride the car. Uh, there are so many fascinating stories about the Canadian Football League. I, Bernie, I grew up Bernie in Ottawa. Gl- Bernie oh Glaberman. God, don't, don't say that name. <laughs> don't don't say, he owned the Streetport Pirates? He owned the Pirates. Yeah. Okay, well, there you have it, because Bernie and his son, who knows what his first name is, owned the auto... Lonnie. Hmm. (laughs) They owned the Ottawa Rough Riders, where that's where I'm born and raised, and he turned that team into an absolute joke, the two of them. Uh, I think I think Lonnie was the one that was more in charge at the time, but uh, they are they know not to set foot in Ottawa ever again. These are these are two people you say that like I got goosebumps of rage when you said those names. (laughs) we, We. we had <laughs> Ottawa had a football team. I want to say for maybe eighty years, and the CFL was going through hard times back then. But those guys were the final nail in the coffin for the team, oh, yeah. and, and Ottawa lost their team. And it wasn't until just three years ago that Ottawa got their team back. They they came back as a team called the Renegades, and then that failed. And then they have recently come back as the Red Blacks. They actually couldn't get the the Rough Riders name back because. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders had veto, apparently, about Ottawa had actually requ- acquired the rights to the name from the previous owner, but the Saskatchewan Rough Riders apparently had final say on whether or not they could use that name again. And I think it all had to do with the fact that Saskatchewan sells a lot of merchandise. Yeah. The, the whole province uh, supports that team, and they're the most supported team in the CFL, even though they don't have a great history. I think they've only won three championships and, you know, 104 iterations of the Grey Cup. Uh, wow. But they're very, they're very well supported. They have an amazing stadium. So now Ottawa is known as the Ottawa Red Blacks, <laughs> which at first... People thought it was a strange name, and it is, but it's uh, it's it's growing on us. <laughs> well, and, th- and there was a difference too between the two Rough Riders. Uh, Saskatchewan—it's all one word, right? If I remember <laughs> That's right. right. And Ottawa correct, was yes. two words. Two Rough words, writers. Yes, but so, we ha- we had it first. That's—I mean—that's the bottom line. We had it first, and we've won way more championships, so we should have been entitled to it. But so, eh, such is life. It, hey, you it, know what? O- Ottawa won the Grey Cup last year, so whatever, Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> so, we don't care what we're called. We got the trophy. <laughs> you got uh, it. There you go. You got it. Here's the uh, brief synopsis on the great Tucker Caper, as it has come to be. Um, 
The Gleibermans tried to relocate the team to Norfolk, Virginia. However, officials there broke broke off talks after learning that Gleiberman faced several lawsuits in Shreveport. Notable about the move to Virginia was the great Tucker Caper when the city of Shreveport tried to seize Bernie Gleiberman's 1948 Tucker, which was on loan to a classic auto, automobile museum in downtown Shreveport, which my family, my sister-in-law was um, one of the managers of the museum. <laughs> I know about this. That's we got hilarious. the call. Oh, come, <laughs> we need to come get the car. Um, so I, ha- I literally have direct ties to this whole thing. Um, That's amazing. The for defaulting on debts related to the Pirates' lease at the Independence Stadium, including payments for the scoreboard, uh, Gleiberman's lawyer Mark Gilliam tried to escape with the car and hide the vintage auto, but he ran out of gas along the way. <laughs> the, the police, the police spotted him. Which a 1948 Tucker Torpedo is not hard to miss if you see it go by or you go I- by it. Um, imagine <laughs> and took the car back to the museum where it was being stored until the case could be settled norfolk wasn't interested in the team in any event due to the gleberman's poor business record uh yeah but we we had a great helmet i i've been trying to get one of their trying to find a jersey of theirs forever do you have the mini helmet to, i do not i have mm. uh i have actually a rugby jersey or rugby oh, shirt that's cool from them yeah it, it's a black black shirt with orange and white stripes down the sleeve i like that that's cool but i would love to get the the purple uh purple jersey i'll work on it for you i'm uh if i if i put my collectibles editor hat magazine <laughs> editor hat back on i could probably scoop some up for you probably at <laughs> a song as well the the, the u.s cfl stuff is uh it's hard to find but yeah. it's not like there's huge demand for it but i well, think uh we should be able to find some of it for you i, I want to say during that time period there were what four teams it was uh memphis mad dogs birmingham yep. barracudas the pirates and mm-hmm. the uh baltimore stallions well, they were actually called originally the Baltimore Colts, but the team in Indianapolis had a problem with that. Yeah. So, so for yeah. half a season, they were called the Baltimore CFLers. Yeah. <laughs> and then, they, and then they turned into the Stallions. And it's amazing that team probably saved the CFL because they had a they had some superstars. That was the difference between those teams as well. Is they uh, in in the CFL there is a Canadian player quota that you have to have X amount of Canadians on your team. Uh, But that wouldn't jive in the U.S., (laughs) So each of those teams were, you know, significant U.S. college players better than than yeah. a lot of the Canadian teams. And when those teams basically broke off, it brought in a real influx of great players into the league. Um, Trace, Tracy Ham being one of them. Yeah. But the most significant is uh, Anthony Calvillo, who is now the all-time uh, passing yards, I think, and touchdowns leader in the CFL. He played for the Montreal alouettes and won several championships with them and he still still throws an ugly ball but the man could put it in the right spot it was a it was a it was a duck but you know he he was he was an intelligent quarterback no doubt about it i i think the the main two players i remember from shreveport uh i think they were there both years of the team was uh billy joel tolliver was our quarterback totally yeah is that post nfl um might have been after his NFL career. Okay, yep. 
and my favorite kicker of all time, Born Nitmo. Uh, <laughs> we call him Bjorn Nitmo. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> that guy Nitmo was awesome. A, I'll tell you, there, yeah. there's a there's a lot of stuff with the CFL I wish would be carried over into um, into the NFL in terms yeah. of gameplay. Like that'll yeah. really happen. Yeah, there's some good stuff like like the wide receivers in motion. Uh, now my before the snap. Yeah, uh, it you know we got 110 yards to cover, so you know it's good to get those wide receivers moving before before the ball is snapped and. Well, well, you, you, you see it in the arena football. Yeah, that's true too. Good point. Uh, yep. Um, kick a field goal. Put someone behind the goalpost. They catch it. They can run it out. Mm-hmm. Love well, that. We, we have we have the goalposts uh, at the goal line as well. Yes. So we, when you're when you're used to. Oh, is that is that right? It used to be in the front of the end zone. It, it used to be. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. And also, if you miss a field goal and it goes out the end, you get a single point rouge for that. Yep. <laughs> You've heard uh, of the term rouge? That's what it is. It's the single point. It is, isn't it the same thing on uh, on a kickoff if it goes out? It is, yeah. Any or, kick through the end zone, yep. Or if you don't run it out of the end zone, the opposing team gets a rouge, isn't it? Uh, I, thought th- I thought there was something uh, funny one. about if you didn't run it out. If you downed it in the end zone, I thought there was something that happened, that the kicking team gets gets awarded Actually, for I think it. Actually, I think you're right. I think that is also the case. I think it is a single point as well. Uh, I, I'm not... I'm not <laughs> Up to speed on my <laughs> CFL rulebook, I guess. <laughs> See, I only, I only, I only had it for two years. And <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the most coverage that the CFL has gotten in the U.S. in uh, a long time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no way, man. ESPN3, it is on ah, yes. all the time. There's actually yeah. really good coverage in the States. And ESPN2 the best... ESPN usually shows the Grey Cup, too. Oh, that's awesome. And, I mean, the biggest thing is there are a lot of big-time college players that that's how you follow their careers, right? I mean, the, the, the biggest case, probably the two biggest of them all, Warren Moon, right? Yep. I, I don't know if you guys have seen A Football Life on Warren Moon on mm-hmm. the NFL Network, but yep. like, yeah. um, amazing story, right? He was one of the best quarterbacks coming out of college, and you know his preliminary draft ranking said he was maybe going to get drafted in, what, seventh or eighth round because he was a black quarterback. And comes to the CFL, wins four championships in five years. And then what? Goes back to the NFL as a free agent and is the highest paid player in the league. Mm-hmm. And that and ugh, that man throws the perfect ball. He, like that spiral is, ugh. Yep. He should have had, he, he should have had a couple Super Bowls. Yeah, he was but on he, a couple of good teams. Yeah, Houston, he, uh, there he was... was but it a couple was, of those Houston teams are really good. Yeah, yeah. And didn't he play on that? Uh, so he went from Houston to Minnesota, to didn't he? Minnesota, didn't he play with yeah. Randy Moss for a couple of years? I think so. Uh, that was was that, that Culpepper? That was Cunningham. Cunningham. Yeah. So so it was probably the three of them for the beginning of Moss's career, right? Because he had Culpepper in '99. Moss was drafted in '98. So yeah, he probably had Cunningham and Moon together, maybe, or did one replace the other? I think so. I don't. Know. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was so right. long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, but you're right. He was on. He was on some good teams, and uh, you know, you don't. You, and that's why I love watching these documentaries. Is you don't realize how close these teams were, and how you kind of forget it came down to maybe a handful of plays that would have taken someone else to the to the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm a Broncos fan myself, so I I'm again sorry. I still have a I still oh, yeah. have a glow. <laughs> yeah, sorry, please. Well, my, he made my, up for it. No, <laughs> I, I've got. <laughs> 
<laughs> my brother lives in Denver, and after a family trip out there, um, my my distaste for the Broncos grew even more after that trip. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, we'll talk about it off air. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but I, I will say Denver, though, they are nuts about their football. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I've never been to a game myself. I'm um, hoping to in the next couple of years. I have a former uh, university baseball teammate of mine who lives in Windsor, Ontario, not far from Detroit. Right. Not far at all. <laughs> yeah. And he, he is a Broncos season ticket holder, him and his dad. And he still wow. lives in Windsor. And basically what he does is he sells, resells every ticket and makes a little bit on every ticket where every second year he goes to a game and the money he makes from selling those tickets covers his flight, his hotel, ticket, food, covers the weekend for him and his dad to go every second year. And it, it took him like 10 years to get on the waiting list. Wow. So wow. anyway, he, prom- he promised me a spot in the next year or two and now it's now it's on the record (laughs) yeah (laughs) well yeah i uh look i I suffered i suffered with the broncos for those three losses i wasn't really aware of the the very first one the pre-john elway uh super bowl loss (laughs) but you know john elway took him to the super bowl by himself yeah and and that's why i for me i think he's the second best quarterback of all time i love Joe Montana, uh, I do think Tom Brady is the best, and I think John Elway is number two. And the biggest reason is, you know, Montana had Rice and Ronnie Lott and Roger Craig and all these guys for a long stretch. And John Elway had Sammy Winder and Vance Johnson and, you know, I'm going with this. Yeah. Oh, he did have easy Ed McCaffrey. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's true. I would add as a tie for for that third spot with Montana, Dan Marino. Uh I know. Seriously. That was the quarterback I first fell in love with when I first started watching NFL football. Like, and the, the that, only that th- guy throws the perfect ball too. Him and Moon. The only thing that would secure him in second in a true number two and bump yeah. Elway and yeah. Montana down is if he had won a Super Bowl. Just one. Just one. Right. And it would have secured him as a legend. I know. Yeah. I mean, Favre, he only won one, didn't he? We expected him to win mm-hmm. three or four. He yep. only won one. But it doesn't matter. It's oh, he's a Super Bowl champion, so he's in the conversation. He's part of the group. And ugh, I mean, football is the ultimate team sport, and to hold that against the guy, I don't know. Yeah. To me, that's a media thing. You know, he he that he took a beating. That that team never had a running back his whole career. He had he had the magic markers, Mark Duper and Mark Clayton, but mm-hmm. you know they just they just were never a complete team. It, I mean, were they even close other than '85? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Now, since since we've been talking sports, uh, you have yeah, on your have. Twitter profile uh, that you worked for. You were a VP for a trading card company. Hey, that's correct. Yes. So the company I worked for was a company called In the Game, and they were a specifically a hockey card NHL hockey card manufacturer. And in my time there, which would have been between two thousand one. In 2004, we were basically the number two hockey card manufacturer to Upper Deck. 
And we made their lives miserable. We gave them a very hard time with the category. Um, you know, Upper Deck, a big company. They had, you know, all the big licenses at the time, all four major sports, had great brand equity, yeah. uh, big support in the industry. But, you know, we had four or five Canadian guys that really, really cared about hockey. And we made some pretty darn good products during that stretch. And hockey card collectors. They aren't the biggest group of collectors, but they're extremely loyal and they appreciate good stuff when they see it. And that was that was a really fun time in my professional life. I'll call it that because it was we got to do a lot of fun stuff. I think the first week on the job, I got to go to L.A. for the All-Star game and watch people open packs of cards in front of us for for a whole weekend and got to watch the actual All-Star game and stuff like that. That was pretty great. Uh, One of my favorite stories was this would have been back in uh, probably about October. October of 2002, where there uh, there was a young prospect named Jason Spezza, who had been the number two pick in the draft the year before, and he was one of the big up-and-comers in the league, and um, anyway, he had just been called up by the Senators, and of course, yeah. that being my, my favorite team, I was extra eager to be able to produce his first hockey card because there's a rule in the NHLPA. Uh, sorry, guys, I'm going to uh, get my charger. I'm going to run out of juice here in a second. <laughs> um, being that you have to um, have played in a game to qualify for a uh, for a rookie card, um, you know you, you couldn't you couldn't produce them at the beginning of the season. You had to wait until he actually played a game, and you get the photography and so on. That's that's when you could finally submit the card for approval. And we were literally on a plane, probably going to another trade show, and we were dictating the card text to go on the back of the card to our design studio while we're on the plane. And uh, because we had like a ridiculously tight deadline to get uh, to get the artwork ready Um the artwork ready for for production because once the presses start that's it and uh so anyway yeah we uh we we produced the very first jason spezza card and uh if he hadn't demanded a trade that would have meant a lot more to me (laughs) uh, you know such is life in the nhl and uh but that's part of the part of the fun of being in that business is um you know trying to trying to be the first to do whether it's uh you know type of tech the cool part about trading cards is you know over the years you've seen stuff like lots of autograph cards memorabilia cards serial number um you know cool technologies for printing materials and uh, that that side of the business is really really cool and um yeah i enjoyed it uh, trading cards have kind of been a big part big part of my life since since i purchased uh in 1987 a beckett baseball monthly with kirby puckett on the cover okay uh, it, it since then it's been uh, kind of a fun fun part of my life and uh a lot less than it used to be because it's really easy to spend a lot of money on that stuff mm-hmm. but uh, oh, yeah. i still i still i still enjoy my my rookie cards from the 70s 80s and 90s my collection is uh kind of uh shrunk down to my my favorites and um 
but yeah, it kind of, you know, kind of was the, the first step to, to getting into the games business, you know, getting to know about, um, first of all, just being fascinated by cards as a kid, uh, looking at photography, you know, baseball cards. It was almost always spring training photos. And, you know, you had this big, bright blue sky and, you know, awesome backgrounds and slightly different jerseys than they'd wear during the regular season. Um, there was a, a funny fact um, in the 70s, um, there was only one trading card photographer and he was located in in Washington. So for instance, if you're looking at uh, Wayne Gretzky's rookie card, which is the 7980 Topps or Opeachy, every single photo, the team on the ice is the Washington Capitals and somebody else. I don't know why. I guess the, the guy had the contract. A particular photographer <laughs> had the contract for NHL photography and, um, you know, stuff like that. The, lots of interesting things with trading cards in terms of what goes into them. And, yeah. you know, you hear about some of the crazy errors over the years, yeah. right? The Billy Ripken story, right, where he was he posed for a photo and the story goes that a teammate of theirs wrote an expletive word on the uh, knob of his bat and the FLIR missed it, the Major League Baseball missed it, the Players Association missed it, the printing press missed it, and it made national news that there was a card with a bad word on it that little kids could buy. And, uh, wow. Anyway, yeah, trading cards is lots of fun stories like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say one of my favorite trading card stories was um, Rocket Ishmael got drafted by somebody in the NFL, and he went mm-hmm. and played in the CFL, sure and did. I don't remember who made the cards? Proset. <laughs> Remember Proset? Yes, I do because I, I used to. I loved the Proset hockey cards. Mm, okay, um, and I have a complete set of the first two years, probably the only two yeah. years of their their hockey life. It, it, it didn't last too long. But now uh, this this yeah, was the a Ishmael different card. This was a different. It wasn't Proset. It was a different company that had the CFL cards with the oh. official Rocket Ishmael rookie card. Gotcha. And it had the rookie card with him with Toronto, and then it had okay. like three or four other Ishmael cards from okay. all his draft day, signing day, yep. and cheesy hats and t-shirts yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I so have, that was a, a. I have a box that a little, of that still sealed in in the wrap. That's interesting. So that was a company called Jogo, and they were a Canadian company that every year they produced the hockey set. God, probably from. I want to say 1981 till, gosh, how far did they go? But sadly, during the the big trading card boom, right around the Ishmael time, uh, they ran into hard times because they started producing packs. So typically what they did was they would produce a whole set. You could buy the whole set on its own. Plus, they provided X number of sets to the players. And I believe the player sets, some. I believe they were numbered. Um Anyway, uh, yeah, so through that time, every year you could pick up the Jogo set, and I think they ended up running through probably the late 90s, uh, maybe the early, no, I'd say the late 90s, and uh, yeah, it was it was a you know, small company, uh, happened to be, I believe it was two photographers, two CFL photographers that had access to the field. And in fact, one of one of my favorite trading cards of all time is uh, Warren Moon's uh, one of his first CFL cards is from the 83 Jogo set, which is one of the more rare sets. It's got uh, 
a, a lot of prominent CFL rookie cards in there. Uh, Warren Moon, uh, Matt Dunnigan is another one. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm slicing the audience real thin right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that, that whole time with Rocket Ishmael, that was huge. I mean, yeah. you know, that was back when Wayne Gretzky and Bruce McNall and John Candy owned the Argonauts. So they put their money together and said, let's steal this guy away from the NFL. He was going to be the number one pick in the NFL. And they just handed him enough money to say, no, thank you. I won't be, I won't be signing with an NFL team. And he ended up playing, I think, two years with Doug Flutie. And I think they won two great cups together. That's a so. pretty good combination. A guy who would have been the first overall pick in the NFL draft and Doug Flutie, the best CFL player of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Those are good times for Toronto football. But unfortunately, CFL football in Toronto isn't, uh, isn't the top priority. Uh, you know, Maple Leafs. Blue Jays, the Raptors, even Toronto FC seem to take uh, precedent over the Argonauts these days, sadly. Um, but who knows? It's, uh, things may change. I can't believe that uh, Toronto hasn't turned on the Maple Leafs. They haven't had a good team in years. Yeah, yeah. Well, last year was a pretty good year for them. They had yeah. probably four tremendous rookies. I think they had three, three, four rookies that scored twenty goals last year. Um, look, they they had to basically buy the best coach and buy the best GM <laughs> mm-hmm. to straighten to straighten that organization around. And you know those those guys, they know what they're doing. You know that's uh, that's where it starts. And yeah. you know the the Leafs the Leafs were constantly one of those teams that would overpay for older players just to get into the playoffs and you know they would you know being an Ottawa fan of course I have this dark dislike for Toronto because they've Toronto's somehow beat Ottawa I think it's four times in the playoffs and each time they had an inferior team Ottawa was always the better team but you know those Leaf teams they were loaded with future Hall of Famers who were you know in their mid 30s but the one thing I'll say is that it took everything out of them to be Ottawa because they missed out on some really, really good opportunities in the playoffs. But but yeah, I mean, I don't know if you recall that that playoff loss a few years back where they had where Toronto had a five two lead on Boston with something like three minutes to go, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and everyone was okay. They're going to the next round. It was game seven, blah blah blah, and they ended up losing the game in overtime. But that playoff series which was only a few years ago, they said was the first time the Leafs had participated in a playoff game in HD. Wow. <laughs> in high-definition TV. So <laughs> you're talking about like a 10-year like a gap, which is yeah. pretty hilarious, but... Uh, <clears throat> let's not let's not talk about the Leafs. I, there's nothing yeah. good I can say. The only the bad <laughs> bad sides of me will come out. So let's, let's uh, talk about something else. See, I, I'm disappointed that the Orlando Solar Bears of the ECHL is a Leafs affiliate. Is that right? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably. You know what? It's probably because a lot of Tor- a lot of retired Torontonians live in Orlando. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how the deal went down because the first year of the of the Bears' return, uh, but to the ECHL, you know, starting off in the ECHL, mm-hmm. uh, our first two years we were with the Minnesota Wild. And oh, that, really? And that second year we were split between Minnesota and Toronto. Hmm. And that was an AHL team before that, wasn't it? IHL. Several years? IHL. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, yeah. With, okay. with, with the great Alan Bester as our original goalie. Really? 
Yeah. Not bad. And he still lives Former, in the area. Oh, wow. How about that? Hey, perfect example. Toronto boy living in Florida. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the IHL. It, that was the first league where Dominic Hasek played, too, for yep. the Indianapolis Ice. I think that's right. It's also where Nikolai Hobby Bullen went to play when he refused to sign with the Phoenix Coyotes. He went and played yeah, with the Long, Long Beach Ice Dogs. Very good. Very good. So you, you grew up in Louisiana, is that right? Uh, I moved around a lot. You moved around a lot. Okay. I, I was actually <laughs> born in Kentucky, lived Arkansas, Oklahoma, oh. New York, then Louisiana, met my wife there, and then came down here in Florida. There you go. You are a, a well-versed American. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All regions of the country. That's cool. And That's cool. I, I will say I will miss the Binghamton Senators. Yeah, well. But Belleville released their uh, their jerseys, and I'm like, why can't Ottawa do the same? Make the Heritage shirts. The- I know, I know, I know. In fact, it's like, it's, it's outrage right now that our AHL affiliate has the jerseys that all Ottawa Senators fans want. We all want it. There, there's been surveys and Twitter polls, oh, yeah. and, and it's it looks amazing on the ice. Those Especially the black looks really strong on the ice. The white looks really nice, too. Now, there is a beacon of hope that if you go to the Ottawa Senators website right now, the featured logo is that vintage O. Right. And they haven't released their secondary jersey. So Adidas had a big event of releasing the new Adidas cut design yeah. jerseys and so on. They only released one of the Ottawa jerseys, which was, was the red. Uh, I thought it was the white. Well, that white was never formally released. That was just on one of the players uh, during a, during an event. It was So Ottawa's white jersey is the worst in the league, and they actually made it worse with this new version of it. So we're, everyone's hoping that that secondary jersey will be the vintage because – like literally all the featured logos on the website are that vintage O. Yeah. So oh, we're really hoping because you know how it is. You got to look good to win, right? <laughs> you know, the Denver Broncos went to that navy and orange. What happened? They went to Super mm-hmm. Bowls, right? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers got rid of the orange sherbet. Right. They went to Super Bowl. Eh, it, it means something. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, anyway. But when you take a look at, you know, with the edge change or the change to the edge jerseys, Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Ottawa, Tampa, Pittsburgh, and I know I'm missing someone else, all using the exact same pattern. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. And then you take a look at Atlanta's home, uh, Philadelphia, and someone else were the same. Hmm. Basically, it's like Reebok said, here's three or four patterns, take your pick, and then some of your teams yeah. like like New Jersey and Chicago. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, no, we're not changing our look. Really? Montreal was the same way, but it's like, uh, NHLuniforms.com is a great site for that. Hmm. I'll check that out. That's good. Uh, one site I, I like to go to, and I, I know the guy a little bit, is sportslogos.net. Chris Creamer, yeah. Good, Chris Creamer, yeah. I'm on that site as He's well. He's a good man. Uh, yeah, he does awesome work. Really awesome work. In fact, we're working on a couple of projects with him. Uh, but he's, wow, he's, yep, that, that's a resource. If you're looking for an old logo, there's only one place to go, and it's sportslogos.net. Yep, yep. Sure, I'll get a check, check in the mail for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can people find you or CSE Games on the Internet? The Internet, we're, it's very easy. CSEGames.com. Twitter at CSE Games, Instagram at CSE Games, <laughs> Facebook at CSE Games. 
I should have just said at CSC Games on all the things. Yes. Right? That's what <laughs> podcast people say. Yes. <laughs> all the things. All the things. Yeah. That's what I should have said. We don't do Pinterest, though. I don't uh. see the interest there. No. Anyway. <laughs> I hear it's not for boys. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started an account that all I saw was like cooking recipes and things like that. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Just for me. I love getting a notification. Oh, so-and-so has followed you on on, Insta- yeah. or on Pinterest. I'm like, that's cool. They're going to find I'm real boring because I haven't added <laughs> a thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Set it up and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, we uh, were pretty, pretty active on Twitter. Uh, try, try to be on Facebook. It's hard, but Twitter's nice and easy. Um, yeah, any any regular updates and news and photos, we're, we're pretty active on there. Uh, like to run contests from time to time. Um, I think we were going to run a contest. I'll let you go ahead since we're in the same <laughs> I was just direction. Gonna, I was just going to say, speaking of which, I, I'll <laughs> let you explain the details if you don't mind. <laughs> Actually, I'll let you do it because I don't remember the details. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it. Uh, <laughs> There's a giveaway so, of something. <laughs> g- yeah, a giveaway of some free materials if you do XXX. Mm-hmm. And we can fill in those blanks, I think, uh, maybe in, in the, the comments section or the description section of this episode. Yes. <laughs> How's that sound? Yeah. <laughs> No, but yeah, no, we'd be happy to do, uh, you know, kind of the old retweet and follow for for a chance to win uh, a couple of our games. Awesome. Nice. Sounds exciting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think we'll have to I think we'll have to tie in something with our Gridstones campaign too so we can yes. let people know about that and, you know, and the, the really fun part about doing these campaigns is even if even if people don't pledge or don't, you know, aren't interested in it, the the just the idea of sharing it with others, you know, hey, I saw this, it seems like the kind of game you might like. To us is just as valuable as any as any backer or anyone that, you know, offers feedback or anything like that but that's that's also the great part of it as well is the interaction with backers if they have an idea on how to improve this and that or have you thought about this but yeah just the you know just sharing sharing the campaign with others even you know just to check it out and um you know it's, it's just as valuable as any as any backer and we would totally appreciate that well, the cam the Kickstarter campaign is going now at at the yes. time that you are hearing this. So check it out. Support they if you can, can simply just go to gridstones.com and it'll forward you right right to the Kickstarter campaign. Grid stones, no N. Not, no grindstones. <laughs> well, there is okay. an N in stones, but it's not grindstones. Right. Yes. <laughs> One N, not two. <laughs> uh, correct, yes. And did you say uh, Fan Expo was coming up this weekend? or? That's right. So that's uh, okay. starting October 30, uh, August 31st to the end of the weekend, uh, September 3rd. And uh, we've got some fun stuff going on there. We have Up some. against Dragon Con. Oh, is it really? Well, yeah. Dragon Con up against Fan Expo. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll have some fun stuff going on there. We'll have some promos, some giveaways. We even have a fun Constellation cosplay uh, little game that uh, we'll have with people that come by and see our stuff. Um, nice. You know, we kind of tied in the, the theme of Constellations uh, of the game of Gridstones, um, where you assign a specific constellation to a classic cosplay character. So say you assign Ursa Major to 
a wizard. So every time you see a wizard, you check off one of the stars of the constellation. And if at the end of the day you've completed the most constellations, then you win a prize. Oh, wow. So just a fun, fun way to get people looking around and, you know, you, you, you're getting a kick out of the, the cosplayers anyway, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I can just check them off one by one. <laughs> Might as well win something for your trouble. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. there you go. <laughs> so. every, yeah, dead, got some- every, every Deadpool or Harley Quinn lose two, two stars. <laughs> <laughs> Harley Quinn, I don't have a lot of problems with. I'm sorry. <laughs> but in a totally different way. I know. I know. Right. But in the cosplay, sure there, is, there is so many Harleys and, yes. and Deadpools no out there. About it. Yeah. yeah. It'd be yeah. an easy card to fill. I think so. Yeah. That would be for, yeah, one of the one of the busier constellations, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Be. Well, we thank you for coming on. Hey, it was my and, pleasure. It was Thanks a blast. Yeah, it was really good. I can't believe the uh, tangents we took, but... <laughs> Right. That was uh, it. Was good. It was a fun path. That, that, is, that is the type of show we are. Just get the get the meat of the the info out there and tangent yeah. along the right. No, that was a lot of. I, I certainly didn't think we were going to go down the CFL road. That's for sure. Right. Football. I thought, yeah, there was a chance, but uh, <laughs> we took a heavy left turn into the CFL. <laughs> wow. This is I, for you, Canadian listeners. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I, I, I'm gonna. Th- I, I think my knowledge of the CFL is probably what really helped take us down that tangent. Yeah, it's better yeah. than most, man. That was impressive. Mm-hmm. That was that, well, having ninety four, yeah. ninety five in, in my belt with the Pirates. Yeah, didn't hurt. Well, <laughs> but maybe next time we'll talk about the XFL. How about that? Oh, <laughs> do we have to? Particular <laughs> <laughs> player I know from Not, there is nothing. Uh, hate me? Is that the one? He hate me. Hate that's me. right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that that was that whole ESPN special about the XFL was awesome. It was amazing. I can't believe it. I, and I had no idea that the advertising blimp crashed. They had a yeah. they had a XFL blimp that was what going over a Monday night game and it crashed. Like <laughs> they should have known then. Well, just pull the plug, right? The- well, when, when they had the one game that was the game of the week in L.A. and the power went out, and yeah. here's the one announcer going, I'm on the secondary game in Orlando. I don't have to deal with McMahon in my ears anymore. And all of a sudden, I hear McMahon in my ears. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> and it was all because someone didn't put gas in the generator. The generators. The backup generator. Like, wow. And it took it just two. wasn't wasn't meant to be. And it mm-hmm. took an hour or two to find gas for the generators. Oh, so how God. hard is that? Yeah. Such a shame. Such a shame. At least, at least we didn't. McMahon. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I was going to say, at least we didn't talk about the USFL because then we would have had to talk about a particular owner of the New Jersey Generals that uh, we don't maybe want to talk about, or maybe we do. Who knows? But if you remember, yes, Mr. Trump, who was basically the, the killer the of the USFL. <laughs> the, yes, exactly. The one dollar. Yeah, the one dollar football league. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Amazing league, though. Again, great, great stories. They say there was one game. Uh, this would have been so Jim Kelly played for who was it? The Houston Gamblers. Mm-hmm. Let's say yes. Yeah, and I think it was. They, yeah, and they played against the LA Express, where Steve Young was the quarterback. Yep. And they said that was the best game that nobody saw. There was nobody at the game watching. There were like no no fans, okay. and apparently they taped over the footage. 
And it was something like they each threw for 450 yeah. yards or something insane like that. They say nobody saw. I think that's the only championship that, uh, <laughs> that could have been a good league. One is the Michigan Panthers, and they won a, a championship. Did they really? Or at, least, or at least they were good, I know, in the USFL. <laughs> yeah. Much better than the Lions. Oh, poor Lions. Yeah. The, poor, the Detroit Lions, the team that forced Barry Sanders and Megatron to retire. <laughs> Right. I'm sorry. I I love Barry Sanders. I grew up loving, loving Barry Sanders, but poor guy just had it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's like, you know what? What's the difference if I play one more year? It just gave uh, Matthew Stafford a hundred and thirty-five million dollar uh, extension. I know. He's a good quarterback, though. Yeah, he's, he's the best good. one that I've he's, seen in my yeah, lifetime. He's, he's very good. Uh, uh, who knows? Hey, yeah. who knows? Right. That, that's why they play the games. Well, going yeah. back to the XFL, best player to ever come out of that, Tommy Maddox. Yes, former Denver Bronco. <laughs> Did he play right. the Steelers for a while? Yeah, he went to the Steelers afterwards because yeah. he was a Bronco draft pick before the XFL. And then he was, what, XFL MVP? And then yeah. didn't he take – was he on one of the Steelers teams that went to the Super Bowl? Uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, played five seasons in the NFL, seeing playing time with Denver, St. Louis, the Giants, and Falcons. Um, named Player of the uh-huh. Month in the XFL and in the Championship Games MVP. After the XFL, played with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, named Comeback Player of the Year in 2002 and is the only current player to win both an XFL championship and a Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, must in, uh, Super Bowl XL. Wow. So he was a backup, I guess. Yeah, probably. Must have been a Big Ben. Must have been Big Ben, yeah, of course. Wow. Yeah. That's a good career. Really mm-hmm. good career. <laughs> so as we tangent again, as we're trying to... Yes. <laughs> I know. As we're saying we're goodbye. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what we're notorious for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again, guys. I I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you giving me some time to talk about our fun little project. And I I really enjoyed uh, the tangents, talking about trading cards, football, sports, CFL. That was was good stuff. I hope I... uh, I, I'm calling myself a, a a geek in progress, so I hope I uh, I hope I'm at least staying on the right trajectory there. Well, hopefully we <laughs> we treated you well, and, uh, and you're Certainly you're did. you're welcome back anytime. Well, it'd be uh, it'd be my pleasure. We uh, since we talk so much about football, maybe we'll talk about one of our other upcoming releases, a game called Fantasy Fantasy Football. So I'm just going to leave it at that. People want to check it out, they can check fffootball.net. So this is a fantasy football game where you're a manager managing your team of fantasy creatures so oh that's cool yeah so think a little bit of blood bowl but tied in with your you know yeah fantasy draft and yeah i remember that from warhammer you got it yeah Uh, so it's i mean it's it's not a football game you're you're a manager you're managing your roster putting your guys into position and then comparing stats but then using special magic abilities and keeping an eye out for bye weeks and the weather can impact things. And anyway, really fun. I had uh, I'd mentioned Daryl Andrews at, at one point. Uh, I don't know if that was, was that pre-show or was it during the show? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's uh, he's one of the designers of the game, and uh, Daryl is, is a prolific designer. Uh, he works also for uh, IDW, uh, IDW Games specifically. Um, IDW do, does comic books and does games now, and he's uh, he's responsible for bringing in new titles and game development, so on and so forth. 
And anyway, this is a, a co-design of his, and uh, it's been received quite well. In fact, that was the game of ours that there was the most attention um, in terms of people wanting to buy it on the spot. Uh, but it's still a few months uh, ready from uh, from being in in a uh, few months from being on the shelves. So uh, anyway, but we can, we can as we get closer, we can that would be a, that'd be a good a good date. Cool. Well, I'm gonna officially wrap it up now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Verbal diarrhea right here. <laughs> right. You guys, we're not going to get into the business side for Weeby Geeks. You know where to find us. You know the affiliates to hit off the homepage. Until next time. Want to know more? <laughs> So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production.